Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as He leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you I haven't met yet, uh, my name is Tim Emmett. I'm the senior pastor here at Canon. It's great to be with you. Great to have you uh, in worship with us this morning, whether you're in the sanctuary or joining us online. Um, I want to mention before I get started uh, that uh, not only do our, our hearts and our prayers go with Anthony, but we also are uh, happy to rejoice with Heather, uh, Pastor Heather Jalad, her husband Martin. They are with their daughter Sierra this morning, actually this weekend. Um, Sierra is a film student and she's uh, currently filming her third year uh, film project, and Heather and Martin are there to help with that project, and so that's a a great challenge and a great adventure for them this weekend. We're uh, glad and grateful to have Jan Dwyer with us this morning. She will help lead the service later on. Jan, as most of you know, is our Director of Discipleship and Hospitality. Uh, This morning is the first Sunday of Lent, the first Sunday in our journey uh, toward the joy of Easter. And um, as Rick mentioned, our series is called Unexpected. We are getting ready for Easter by walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. Many of you have begun reading the Gospel of Matthew. There are bookmarks which give you the reading plan, which will guide you through the whole Gospel in time for Easter. We've even built in some days for catching up on your reading. Sunday is catch-up day, and so if you uh, are coming late to the reading of the Gospel of Matthew, you are not too far behind. You will not have trouble catching up and getting into the flow of the story. We would love to have you join us as we walk with Jesus through the whole Gospel uh, in, uh, in the weeks leading up to Easter. On Sunday morning, we will also journey through the gospel, not all of it, but a good bit of it over the next several weeks. Uh, and we will discover as you read and as uh, on Sunday morning we celebrate and preach the gospel of Matthew, we will discover that Jesus fulfilled the promises of God, the purposes of God in unexpected ways, exactly as promised and yet still unexpected. And that very same Jesus calls us to follow his unexpected path through the world as it is, toward the world as it will be, but also from us as we are toward us as we shall be. We are on a journey together with Jesus. That invitation, uh, really, and that path leads us through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was written to help us walk together with Jesus. And so this morning we launch Unexpected, and I want to begin where Jesus began, which is in Mark or Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. This is the beginning, the sort of launching of Jesus' public ministry. Everything before this is really preparation. Uh, if you read the gospel according to Matthew, you get the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of the gospel, uh, and then you get the birth of Jesus and the visitation of the Magi, you get the ministry of John the Baptist, the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, and then finally, halfway through chapter 4, Jesus launches his ministry, uh, begins to do what God has sent him into the world to do. And so we're going to begin where Jesus began, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. 
He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And these words should be familiar to you from the reading you just heard from Frank, which is why we had him read that passage. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Beatrice... Fedyuk decided to write a resume for heaven as her obituary. When she finally passed away at the age of 94, the Winnipeg Free Press printed her resume, her obituary, in its entirety. It starts out, Dear Lord, please accept my application for eternal life. My resume is as follows. She divided her obituary into sections exactly like you would do with a real resume. Objectives, references, training, experience, volunteer work, and hobbies. Beatrice gave a summary of her life history, saying she was born on October 22, 1927, to loving parents, Eugenie and Alfred. I have left my daughter Michelle, her husband Perry, my granddaughter Kylie, and many nieces and nephews on earth, as there are no openings for them in heaven just yet. She shared her memories, saying, Lord, you know that as a teacher, I never had any teacher's pets. Rather, I put my heart into teaching those with learning challenges or difficult family situations. It was here that I feel I did my very best work. I also continued volunteer work, knitting scarves for underprivileged children. Summing up her CV, she added, Lord, I hope that you will find that I have met my objectives and deserve a place in your heavenly home you know where to find me to further discuss my qualifications. If you wrote your own obituary as a resume for heaven, what would you include? If you followed followed Beatrice's example and wrote your own obituary as your resume for heaven, what would you include? You could include your family of origin, talk about the family into which you were born and the family that raised you. And perhaps for some of you, that family included a rich tradition of involvement in the church, involvement in the life of faith. 
You might talk about your own experience of the church or life uh, as a follower of Jesus. You might talk about work. You might talk about family. You might talk about volunteer opportunities, things you have done to love and serve others. You might talk about uh, the different churches you've belonged to, the different places you have lived, the different jobs you have done. If you were to write your own obituary as a resume for heaven, what would you include? We don't have to imagine what the Apostle Paul would have included in his resume obituary because we find it in uh, his letter to the church in Philippi. He actually spells out everything that would appear on his resume that did appear on his resume. Of the people of Israel part of the people of God, of the tribe of Benjamin, he says, a Hebrew from Hebrews, which probably means that although he grew up outside the Holy Land, among the Gentiles, his family spoke Hebrew at home. In other words, they were devout. They took their faith very seriously. He said that uh, according to the law, in, court of keeping, in terms of keeping the, the commandments of God, he was, he was faultless. In terms of his devotion to God, he was a Pharisee. He was part of a a community whose whole purpose was to be holy unto God, to devote themselves entirely to God. And then as to zeal, he was actually a persecutor of the church. Paul lays out in Philippians chapter 3 everything he received from his family and everything he accomplished on his own that would appear on the credit side of his ledger. Everything that could show up for good reason on his resume. But then he said, everything I once counted as a gain, as an asset, as a positive in the eyes of God, I now count as loss. I'm discounting all of it, he wrote. For the sake of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, for the Apostle Paul, the only thing he would put on his resume, the only thing he would put as an argument with God, an appeal to God to let him into heaven, was Jesus. That was it. No wonder Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, writes, we are saved by grace through faith. And the force of the grace and faith really is we are saved by grace alone. God's favor alone, received through faith alone. And then he goes on to say, uh, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, not by anything we have done or will do, so that no one can boast. No one can stand in the presence of, of God and say, I deserve. No one can stand in the presence of God and say, I demand. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, lest so that no one can boast. We are, Paul goes on to write, what he has made us, what he has created, recreated us to be in Christ Jesus for good works, to be our way of life. In other words, If Paul wrote his own obituary as a resume for heaven, the only thing that would have showed up was just one word, Jesus. 
That was true for him, and that's true for us, for me and for you. That is, for some of us perhaps, the shock or surprise of God's grace. We may have grown up thinking that the gospel, the good news we heard in the church was be good and God will bless you. And so then we hope to be good enough so that we'll be blessed, so that we'll be welcomed, so that we'll be loved. And it could be, consciously or not, that we've been building our resume through our entire life, hoping that our resume is good enough to get us in. But that's not actually the gospel that Jesus preached or Paul preached or Peter or John preached. It's not the gospel we find in the Bible itself. And so when that news comes home to our hearts, it can come as quite a surprise and perhaps even a scandal. It seems so easy. Just believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And our sins will be forgiven. Everything wrong we've ever done or said or thought will be forgiven and will be embraced. Some of you have heard me tell the story before of when that truth, that gospel truth, came home to my own heart. But it's been a few years, so some of you haven't heard it. Uh, I was in sixth grade on my way home from church with my father one Sunday morning when I asked out of the blue, Dad, how do you know when you're good enough to get into heaven? That story was just out of left field for him, but not for me. Uh, because that's a question that I had been kind of rolling around in my mind. And the reason was this. you got to follow me on this. It's not going to be obvious right away. But at that time, sixth grade, not done growing, I had not yet reached my maximum height of five, seven-ish. I wanted to play and believed I would play in the NFL. I heard the laughter. I had no plans, like realistic plans to get there, but that was a, you know, sort of castle in the sky dream that I had. And I had heard Jesus say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. So in my sixth grade brain, I had a problem. One to play in the NFL, which will bring with it a lot of money, don't want to go to hell. So how do I do this, but not that? So I reasoned I'm going to have to do some good things to make up for the bad thing of making a bunch of money playing in the NFL. Question, how many good things? Because I don't want to get it wrong. Like there's a set of scales there's a lot of bad that I'm about to inherit when I make it to the NFL. <laughs> Even though I was doing nothing to maximize my mediocre talent in 5-6 frame, I still believed, and so I still believed that I had a problem. This was a quandary. Uh, but you can see where the question comes from, right? Like, this is bad, so how much good? And I was shocked and surprised when my dad said, you'll never be good enough. I can still feel the panic. 
Like, what do you do? That's why God sent Jesus. And I can remember thinking and feeling, oh, oh, that's what they've been talking about at church. That's what the cross is all about. And I was surprised, but it made sense. The only thing on any of our resumes is just one word, and it's a name, and it's Jesus. Which is why, as it's been said, the most frequently heard words in heaven will be, Oh, you're here? So, here's the reason I'm talking about this this morning. Like, that is a surprise. And for some, it may be a scandal. But the most surprising and scandalous thing about heaven is not that anyone and everyone can go there, right? The most surprising and scandalous thing about heaven is not that we can go there, but that it's coming here, right now. We heard that in the beginning of, uh, of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. We heard it a couple weeks ago from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus begins his ministry, launches his ministry with the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Up there is coming down here. That's what he proclaims. That's what he preaches. That is his message. Everything else he does makes, makes sense in the light of that gospel that Jesus preached and still preaches. And we see him, we see in the ministry of Jesus, in the deeds of Jesus, what it looks like when up there comes down here, when heaven comes here, when the kingdom of heaven draws near. We see bodies healed and made whole. We will see later on lepers cleansed. We'll see sinners forgiven and even the dead raised. We'll see evil spirits cast out, people set free. Relationships healed, bodies healed, new life beginning, hope springing up where there's been despair. The most surprising, the most scandalous thing about heaven is not that anyone and everyone can go there, but that heaven itself is coming here. It came in the flesh, in Jesus. It came in person through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the really scandalous thing is that anyone can enter. Anyone can get in on this. No exceptions. At the beginning of the teaching, the block of teaching, which we now refer to as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says, blessed well off. How good is life for the poor in spirit? For those who are spiritually empty, impoverished, they got nothing at all to offer God. There's nothing on their resume they can give to God. Those people are blessed. Those people have it really, really good. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. It's come for them, for you and for me. No exceptions. 
Maybe that's why people, Jesus called people to follow him who didn't seem all that interested in him. In the first century world, there were other rabbis, other masters, other teachers, and standard practice was for wannabe students to approach the master, to approach the rabbi. Can I study with you? Can I become your disciple? That's how it worked. Students sought the master. But in this story, in the gospel, the master seeks the students. Peter and Andrew, James and John, they're just going about their lives. They are going about their everyday life, their business. Jesus seeks them. Jesus calls them. And Jesus calls us. He calls you and he calls me. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that God is searching for us, looking for us a whole lot more than we're looking for him. I mean, the the story of the Bible is not the story of people seeking God. It is instead the story of God seeking people. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they weren't doing bad things. They were doing good things. They were fishing. They were providing for themselves and their families. And yet Jesus called them to something more, something even greater. Life right now in the coming kingdom of God. Right, life right here and right now with him as the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God, the one who brings the kingdom of God, the power of God to set right and heal the whole world. They are called into discipleship with him, into life together with him. They weren't looking for him. He came looking for them. He broke into their lives to bring an even greater and more abundant life, not just for them, but for others as well. And that's the calling of Jesus. It's not just, hey, follow me and you'll have a better life. Follow me and I'll spread that life through you to others. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of people. If they had been farmers, he probably would have said, follow me and I will teach you how to plant the gospel. If they had been carpenters, he probably would have said, follow me and I'll teach you how to build a healthy community, how to build toward the kingdom. But they were fishermen and so he used what they were doing. Follow me, I'll teach you, I'm going to teach you to fish for people, to go and recruit people for the kingdom of God. The most surprising and scandalous thing about heaven, when we read the Bible, is not that anyone can go there, but that it's coming here for each of us and all of us. And Jesus invites each of us and all of us to enter and live in that coming kingdom of God. What will you do tomorrow morning? Most of us 
I'm guessing, have a routine. You get up and you do what you do almost every morning. For some of you, it may be getting up and getting a cup of coffee. For others, it may be getting up and getting your kids up and getting them started. For some, it's getting up and uh, grabbing a Bible or the newspaper or your phone. Most likely, there's a routine of some kind. What do you think Jesus is doing when you get up in the morning? If the gospel is true, if it's actually true that the kingdom of heaven has come near, is here, right here and right now for each of us and all of us, then when we get up and do what we do, if we sit down with coffee and the paper, someone is sitting with us. If we get up and go for a walk, someone's walking with us. If we get up and we care for children, someone is caring with us. And so the invitation for each of us tomorrow morning is this. When you get up and do whatever it is you do, pause. Take a deep breath. And then say, oh, you're here. You're here. You're not waiting up there, far away and in the future. You're right here and right now seeking me. Oh, you're here. What would you like to do today? Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at Canon UMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424.